It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, July 22, 2020. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. Health officials on Tuesday announced two new coronavirus cases in Sitka, one resident and one non-resident. According to a news release from the Sitka Unified Command, the non-resident is a male aged 20 to 29 who is experiencing COVID symptoms and tested positive on Monday, July 20th. The second case, a male resident between the ages of 40 and 49, had no symptoms but tested positive on July 14th. The two cases put Sitka's cumulative count up to 28, 17 residents and 11 non-residents. Of those 28 cases, 23 have recovered, leaving five active cases in the community. Sitka's positives were two of 92 reported in Alaska on Tuesday, bringing the cumulative case count statewide to 2,041. You can find more information about the coronavirus pandemic and how to protect yourself online at the KCAW COVID-19 Information Hub. Just 24 hours after the filing period opened for the municipal office in Sitka, Gary Paxton has filed for re-election to the mayor's seat on the Sitka Assembly. Paxton is the first candidate to signal a run for public office in the municipal election this October. KCAW will have an interview with Paxton during local news this evening. The filing period to run for Sitka Assembly is open until August 7th at 5 p.m. Three seats are open on the Assembly, including the mayor's chair. Two Sitka school board seats are also up for grabs. The municipal election is Tuesday, October 6th. A task force of lawmakers and criminal justice experts is examining how the state can expand a system of courts that offer treatment instead of jail time. Alaska Public Media and KTOO's Andrew Kitchenman reports. Anchorage resident Ron Wilson was headed to prison in 2008 after multiple cocaine-related arrests. I was facing six years and um, and just in complete dismay. And uh, there was a lot of people hurt and affected by this, my family my, and my parents. And, and uh, I was just completely lost at that, They're completely broken. But he was offered an alternative to prison. He attended drug court, which offered him treatment. It's one of 14 courts around the state known as therapeutic courts. Wilson says the experience led him to stop using drugs. It uh, allowed me to be out with my family, allowed me to work while I was going through treatment and also the structure while I was out and and able to do the things that were available prior to incarceration. I was able to, but refrained from it because of the structure and also because of the oversight. Wilson described this experience at a recent meeting of the Task Force on Therapeutic Courts. The legislature formed the task force, which includes two lawmakers and eight experts on therapeutic courts, to make recommendations on how to have more people participate in these courts in the state. The courts have different names and rules throughout the state. Some focus on drug use, others on alcohol, and some specialize in categories of defendants, like parents or military veterans. Michelle Bartley coordinates the court's work throughout the state. She points to studies that have found positive results for those who complete the treatment offered by these courts. These evaluations have all identified positive outcomes that include things like reduced criminal and behavioral health recidivism. So there's a broad interest in expanding therapeutic courts, but there are a few obstacles. The courts are at capacity in some parts of the state, and opportunities for therapeutic courts depend on the willingness of prosecutors, judges, and treatment providers to participate. And sometimes the person charged with a crime isn't interested because of the time it takes to complete the treatment, which can be up to 18 months. 
Bartley says a long-standing problem is that everyone who works in these courts needs to be trained in what makes them different from traditional courts. And with turnover in public defenders, prosecutors, and treatment providers, there's a constant need. Because these courts have so many working parts at one time, all it takes is one person to not be adequately trained to the process, and it kind of throws a hitch in our get-along. So um, it's really important to be able to, to train staff, and training staff can be quite expensive. Deputy Public Defender Benjamin Muse also says the state would benefit from building a broader knowledge of therapeutic courts among lawyers. Unlike criminal courts, where prosecutors and defense attorneys are adversaries, in therapeutic courts, they're part of the same team, led by a judge, that includes treatment providers, probation officers, and others. Each team member needs to be trained. I think it's a very frequent occurrence where an attorney will uh, go for six months working with a team then quit. And they're basically, when you're six months in, you're kind of just kind of become competent working in that pre uh, knowing, learning the ropes, learning how to work in a non-adversarial setting. Uh, so I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Muse says it isn't just differences in training that limit the court's effectiveness. Therapeutic court eligibility and the treatment offered differ across the state. There is a disparity. These courts don't operate uniformly across the state in terms of what their policies and procedures are. Anchorage Democratic Senator Bill Wilikowski chairs the task force. He says the legislature formed the task force because it recognized the court's potential. And you're really trying to get people who are at just critical times in their lives to, to change their lives for the better. And, and so there's, they're very intensive, but they're very effective at the same time. So the, the thought was, how, how can we do this in a way that it isn't just throwing money at it haphazardly, but is more uh, focused on uh, what really works and um, a little bit more efficient. Wilikowski says there's bipartisan interest. Nobody wants that revolving door where people get out of jail and 66% go right back within, within one or two years. Uh, nobody wants that. The public doesn't want that. Legislature doesn't want that. The governor doesn't want that. The legislature has asked the task force to make recommendations in standardizing how Alaskans are screened for the courts, as well as how to provide culturally appropriate treatment resources, including Alaska Native treatment providers. The task force is scheduled to make the recommendations before the next legislature convenes in January. In Juneau, I'm Andrew Kitchenman. This year's cruise ship season in southeast Alaska never got underway because of the pandemic. No boatloads of tourists, no tourism, right? Not quite. One sure sign that visitors are making their way to Juneau again are the bright red shopping bags of the Alaska Shirt Company. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports. The Rose family from Portland is shopping for gifts in the big seasonal souvenir shop. The bear poop. I mean, every 10-year-old boy wants... Do you think something regarding poop? That one too? Or something? Or? <laughs> yeah. The Alaska Shirt Company mostly sells inexpensive knickknacks, like Alaska-themed t-shirts, totem pole refrigerator magnets, and novelty bear poop keychains. Heather Rose grew up in Juneau. She originally planned to visit family here and take in the 4th of July festivities. Those were canceled, but she says there's still stuff to do. I was surprised, and it's been, we've had a blast, yeah. an absolute blast. We've gone hiking, we've pulled crab pots, we've done this just walking around downtown, probably this is our third day. Mm -hmm. So there's been plenty for us to engage in. It's actually a good time to travel here because there is more to do. It feels like we own the town. <laughs> 
Next door, there's another seasonal shop open with high-end gifts. Sunny Harjani manages the family-owned Blue Diamond Jewelry Stores. Between Juno and Ketchikan, there are four. Harjani says it was a tough decision to open two of them this year. But Juno is his summer home, and they've been in Alaska for over 20 years. It's been very, very different. It's been much more quieter, so we're not seeing that much uh, movement here. He says he's not sure locals even know they're open. It's not as obvious as the brick-and-mortar storefronts, but some tour operators and summer attractions are up and running, too. Wesley Bowie is giving free mini-tours at Glacier Gardens. His parents started the meticulously landscaped attraction. It's known for its surreal, upside-down trees, whose roots are used as hanging flower planters. So what would this be like in a normal year? Um, really busy. Really, really busy. We would have Tuesdays. We would probably have 20 buses at wow. least. Somewhere it's just me and one other person on the walking tour today. Later, they restarted golf cart driving tours at a discount. Debbie Rash of Chino, California, is visiting Juno for her third time. She's got a guided six-day jet ski tour around southeast Alaska coming up. Dangerous Water Adventures is now offering the experience of a lifetime. Of course, the water's not the only danger this year. Rash says COVID-19 and the related travel mandates weren't deal breakers. It's all doable. Life goes on. Once she's on her jet ski, she isn't too worried about the coronavirus. Yeah, it's all outdoors and we're all on our own ski, so we're all away from each other. Yeah. The tour company's website shows their trips are sold out through most of August. Adventure Bound Alaska is running limited capacity boat tours to Tracy Arm to spot wildlife and watch glaciers calve into the sea. Before travel restrictions were relaxed, Midgey Moore of Juno Food Tours started putting together subscription boxes of locally made goodies that can be sent to people who couldn't come to Alaska this year. Our motto is, if you can't come to us, we'll come to you. She's restarted in-person restaurant tours too, but with smaller groups than when cruise ships come in. There are some common threads among who's reopening. The smaller operations seem to be doing a little bit better for those independent passengers that they will be taking out. That's Liz Perry. She runs Travel Juno, a nonprofit that markets Alaska's capital city as a travel destination. Based on calls to her office, Perry says there are two types of travelers making their way up. Resolute independents. They are a fairly determined lot, we have found. Um, when they call the office, they say, you know, this is the year we've been planning this for a long time. Tell me how I get from point A to point B. And friends and families of locals. Perry says there was a flurry of interest when Alaska first relaxed travel restrictions but it's fallen off as COVID-19 cases surge around the country. It's too soon to know if this scaled-down tourism market will be viable as the pandemic drags out, but Perry says Travel Juno is developing a safe cities campaign, a set of protocols businesses can opt into that lets everyone know they've got a plan for operating safely. In Juno, I'm Jeremy Shea. I'm Aaron Fulton, and this has been Raven News.